0: Welcome to the International Code Council Region 1 and Region 1 Radio Show. My name is Tim Spears and I'm the host of Region 1 Radio. Region 1 was established in 2014 and we're made up of three states, California, Hawaii, and Nevada. That includes 32 ICC chapters. We're dedicated to excellence in education and engagement to promote a safer environment by bringing code professionals and individuals together. These videos and podcast series are designed to highlight individuals and chapters that make up our region and share their experiences. If you enjoy our show, please rate and review on Apple podcast and subscribe to our YouTube channel today on the show. I'm excited to have joined me fire Marshal Janice van Mullen with the Huntington beach fire department. She is the incoming president for the California fire chiefs, Southern California fire prevention officers association. A little bit of a mouthful there. I'm sorry. And um, and so with that, no further ado. Hello, Janice. Well, hello. And welcome to ICC Region 1 Radio. How are you?
1: Super good. I'm so glad to be here. Um, so uh, here in my office um, in sunny California overlooking the ocean here in my fifth story office. So too bad I can't uh, turn around so, and have uh, that in the background, right?
0: Huh. Yeah, you know, it it sounds uh, super, you know, it sounds like you're really struggling this morning, being able to take a look out over the ocean. I'm actually pretty jealous, Uh, (laughs) but that's awesome. So your your building sits right there so you can see the ocean as, you know, through through your office windows?
1: Yeah, actually, it's a beautiful, I'm a south facing, so I'm on the fifth floor, south facing to the beach. I can see the whole coastline. See Catalina, see all the oh, ships wow. come in. It's, it's actually a beautiful view. The problem is, is it's a very sunny and hot office, so I'm <laughs> often with my my shades down, so I don't get to enjoy it uh, all so... the
0: time. You only get to enjoy it till about noon before yeah. you really start to bake in in the mm-hmm. office. I totally understand that. <laughs> well, hey, welcome to the show. I'm excited. You and I have been talking about doing one of these uh, recordings for quite some time, and so I'm excited. You and I actually met for the first time in person at the uh, Pittsburgh uh, uh, hearings in the ABM uh, this last September. So, uh, And so we've been kind of discussing about getting you on, and now that you're the incoming president, what better time? than now uh, to have you come in and uh, maybe discuss a little bit about your background. So with that being said, um, can you share with our listeners a bit about your background?
1: Sure. Um, It is kind of a very varied background. I'm kind of a latecomer to the fire service. So my degree, my first degree is in electrical engineering. So my, my, um, I, I, went to the University of Massachusetts, got a degree in electrical engineering, and decided I didn't want to be an electrical engineer. So I um, I wanted to get into uh, public service, public policy. I thought my pathway was going to be kind of, um, I wanted to go to Washington DC. And so I enrolled in school. I, I uh, got a master's degree in science, technology, and public policy at George Washington. And while I was working or while I was going to school, I got a job at a defense think tank, and um, which was really very interesting for your first job out of college to be working. I was working actually in the Pentagon and it was just a very uh, surreal yeah, job to, to have. Wow. Um, at that time I worked for the Air Force um, and uh, they, were, they were looking at um, new programs, new environmental programs. And at me being, I guess, the only you know the new kid in, on on the team, they assigned me to the environmental programs, and the Air Force went into this whole um, pollution prevention program. So you can imagine fire prevention, pollution prevention. It's kind of the same concept mm-hmm. where you um, make uh, you know the the business safer by you know getting rid of right. hazardous chemicals and and so forth. So trying
0: to mitigate the risk, right? Trying to find solutions to, to the problem.
1: Correct, yeah. So I decided that that was my pathway forward. And I um, started working as a consultant in the pollution prevention industry and wind up getting married, getting moved to, to LA. My my um, husband at the time was in the Air Force and um, worked at the little tiny base called LA Air Force Base. I worked as a uh, pollution prevention specialist there. Um, I worked in Space and Missile Systems Center as an environmental engineer, and um, eventually made my way to the CUPA program. So I wound up getting mm-hmm. a job as a in the Orange County COOPA, which is Orange County Healthcare Agency, and worked there for three years as a, a hazard waste specialist. Um, took a little detour, opened my own business in a totally unrelated field. (laughs) But I think, you know, it was also a bad time for me to start my business. It was like 2008 and um, the economic, you know, situation was really, Mm, really tough. mm -hmm. So uh, I also decided it really wasn't my thing. So I went back to environmental. Um, I got a job at the Navy base here in Seal Beach in the environmental department and uh again i just you know had an opportunity and this was this is where where huntington beach opened my eyes to fire service so i took a job as a hazmat specialist Um, uh, we do the hazmat business plan program for um huntington beach so that's the we're a participating agency so i was that person and i threw education and interest I, I you know got an opportunity to be assistant fire marshal and then eventually fire oh Marshall. so yeah
0: so you were able to kind of at least make that uh, progression through the department and and get a little bit more fire service experience and kind of make make your way through um one of the questions i did have is what was the business like you said it was unrelated but uh, were you selling cakes were you what was the what was the business i'm curious it was- Yeah, you're a person of many talents, and so I'm curious what this is.
1: It was a hair salon. So, uh, yeah. So, my sister is a stylist, and she originally wanted, we were gonna co-own it. It was a very high-end business. Um, It was in Huntington Beach, and um, it it was a little bit more than I could handle. It was a very, uh, it was a very, uh, we had about 30 employees. At the peak, but when the economy um, started to, you know, fall and our business got hit mm-hmm. very hard, and it was really, it just was really hard to recover from that. So, um, yeah. but you learn so much owning a business, like uh, the financial side of things and understanding mm-hmm. just simple things like bookkeeping and money and yeah. hiring yep. and firing and uh, and <laughs> all those things and being responsible for, you know that kind
0: of you know know,
1: all those people
0: well and being a small business owner i'm sure that that probably helped you in your current area right now in huntington beach and being the fire marshal and seeing how regulations can impact Um, You know, small businesses. And and so one of the questions that I wanted to ask you, I was going to wait a little bit longer, but I think that this is a good opportunity to bring it up. I know that the the city um, has kind of been taking a look at that and we understand how the pandemic has really impacted small businesses. Right. Um, And and also, too, has impacted our us doing the inspections in a sense of going into places that are are being used for maybe a little bit different uh, function than what they were initially used for um maybe we have an assembly occupancy that is no longer really functioning as an assembly and now it's a little bit different because they're doing you know meals to go um but i understand that the city has uh, assembled a assembled a development assistance team can you discuss that development assistance team and what the fire department you know what the role of the fire department is in that program
1: yeah that um... Um, Development Assistant Team, or DAT, is um, something offered to to businesses that are considering, at kind of more of a conceptual phase, uh, opening up a business in Huntington Beach. And the idea is that it's all run through planning department. So a Mm, uh, potential person might come in to... Uh, they would start with planning and planning would then assemble a team and the team usually consists of somebody from fire. So we, we sit at the table, Mm -hmm. public works, it might include police. It might include other, um, it, it it would include building department. So, um, we, it's, it's a very, uh, almost, it's a friendly casual conversation about what to expect. There's no, there's no, um, Plans review. We take their conceptual plans. We mm-hmm. review them. We give them our thoughts and and um, what what they need to consider. For example, for fire mm-hmm. in Huntington Beach, as you know, um, or may may or may not know, we're an oil producing city, and oh, we're also I didn't know yeah we're, we wow yeah <laughs> so we have a lot of our um, jurisdiction is just covered with. Um, old abandoned oil wells, and there's been development over those. Um, When you develop over an oil well, there's a lot of things that you need to do. And one of those is, Mm -hmm. you know, we have to take into consideration, you know, uh, soils. We have to take into consideration methane and then the abandonment of the well. So letting uh, somebody know that they're going to have to take the time to, uh, uh, study that, um, add in the cost mm-hmm. of abandonment of a oh well. So um, yeah. we, we give them that information upfront so they're able to come back and be successful with their project. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, and that's actually, I, I did not, I was not aware that Huntington Beach was a uh, kind of an oil. Uh, producing location I I never really would have thought that and and as you mentioned some of the hazards associated with it and and being the Coupa right and being able to talk about those hazardous materials issues um, to be able to clean up the site uh, and be able to move it forward those are always big things to take a look at when you're going to try to open up a new business or develop a new location so that's that I mean that's kind of where hand in hand right Um, you know working on the hazardous material side like you said the pollution like in your your previous life and some of those previous positions that you held, um, being able to have that background and have those conversations with those folks, that's uh, probably a, a great value, I would imagine, to that that discussion. So, but, well, so we talked a bit about your background. And so we all take different paths and you highlighted a lot of those different paths, but can you describe maybe some of those notable experiences that you've had throughout the course of your career? And then also to any, you know, colleagues friends mentors anybody that has really impacted you one to you know go from where you were at and be in public policy i, I do want to dive more into that because i find that extremely interesting <laughs> um but um but also too how you made the shift into the fire service
1: well okay so uh, let's uh, i'll break down your question starting with the, the last question
0: <laughs> i asked a lot so um
1: i i did I never expected to be in fire service. Never, at any time in my in my mm-hmm. career path, did I consider it. Until I had an opportunity to uh, work as the hazmat specialist, and I okay. loved this job. I loved coming in. I loved I loved wearing the uniform. I loved going out mm-hmm. and inspecting the businesses in my community, um, and. Um, but what I realized at that point was I'm wearing this uniform and I'm going out and people are looking at me and I knew zero about fire code, zero. Mm. And it was, it was very uncomfortable for me. Um, and I said, and I, so I talked to my boss at the time, um, the fire marshal at the time, and uh, Chief Reardon. and he's, he's retired. Um, and now working at the uh, Santa Ana College as a dean. So okay, but he was he was instrumental because he he listened and he said, you're yeah, absolutely right." You know, take the education, take the classes. Let's get you started. I made some you know mm-hmm. uh, proposals that I would do life safety at the same time as Coopa because we weren't doing that. Mm. And okay. um, and so you know that's kind of how I kind of fell in love with with. Fire and life safety, um, fire prevention. Okay. I'm also a code person. I love code, mm-hmm. which is crazy. When I was at um, <laughs> um, when I was at the Coupa, uh, that's mm-hmm. that I like lived in code. You know, underground tanks and right. the, the house waste, and I I just really like. I felt that that was that you you had mm-hmm. to be really strong in code to be able to right. do your job yeah. well.
0: Absolutely.
1: And um, so um, I was always a code geek. And so it just it just was very natural for me um, to to decide that this was my career path. And even though I'm 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 new and I'm a a little Mm -hmm. bit older than most people would enter the fire service, um, (laughs) I still feel like um, it's just it's there's just so much to learn and so much to do. And I'm I'm excited Mm -hmm. every day to come to work and and do um, do great thing, you know, do fun things. i love I love what I do every day. so mm-hmm.
0: you you know you you use the the term code geek and I think actually, a lot of people that I've talked to, um, you know, throughout the course of this series, these podcast series. Have also expressed that same. I, I don't want to say it, it's kind of a weird uh, love of the code and being able to learn more and understand the why. Like when I talk to um, a few people, we, we've talked about knowing the why. Um, and so, like Kevin Mcosker with uh, the building official in Las Vegas, he he he's big into code development, and he he's like you you, you got to know the why. And he always likes to have code discussions, and I'm I'm sure you you do as well. And and so it's one of those things that as we think about the code, it, and I think that that's why many of us got into it. Right. Um, but like you, you made the great segue of going from hazardous materials into the fire code. And a lot of people don't realize how much of a role really hazardous materials plays into the fire code. I mean, there's large sections because um, it's not just about fire prevention, but it's also about life safety. And so there's large sections that deal with, um, you know, with hazardous materials as well. So, yeah,
1: absolutely. Every year so, I, I try to meet myself and um, uh, Grant Miner. He he was at Fullerton. I don't know if anybody's mm-hmm. familiar with him, but he is a great educator, big hazmat, hazmatter. And we do a presentation at uh, the CUPA conference on kind of connecting fire code with HMVP and kind of how they overlap.
0: Okay. Yeah. So probably before we, we go too much further, one of the things that I I failed to even talk about was CUPA. So can you give a little bit of a background on what CUPA, well, one, what CUPA stands for Mm -hmm. and what it, what the program is for maybe some of our listeners in Hawaii, Nevada, or across the country? Sure,
1: sure. So CUPA is C-U-P-A. It stands for the California Unified Program Agency. And, um, strange name but what it what it consists of is um they they took they consolidated a bunch of um environmental programs and put them kind of under one umbrella and um they unit that's why they called unified right um mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. the programs include the hazardous material business plan so that's your tier one tier two mm-hmm. um disclosure um hazardous waste there's underground storage tanks above ground storage tanks there's something called cal which is cal is uh more of the it's the uh, really nasty chemicals that are in the sphere they call them spirit death you know like right. that could cause oh yeah, airborne yeah. it's yeah. i think it's clean Air yeah. act more or less that's um uh guiding that one and if there's another program i'm 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 forgetting it oh tier permitting which is treatment of hazardous waste. So it's if somebody say in a plating line, they treat their waste before they discharge it so that Mm -hmm. they don't have to send it off as hazardous waste. That's another, it's called tiered permitting. So um, they group them into, so the the state has all these different cupas and generally a Mm -hmm. lot of times there'll be a, a county or it could be a city. Um, I happen to be associated. Huntington Beach is associated with the Orange County Coupa. and my city okay. is is a participating agency for one program, and that's the Hazmat Business Plan Program. So all the okay. other programs, the underground tank, the tiered permitting, those are being managed by our friends at Orange County Healthcare Agency under the Coupa. Okay. So we work together with our um, with the Coupa. <clears throat> to do things like the billing, they do the consolidated billing. Um, okay. And if they if we ever have to do any kind of joint, you know, programs. Um, so we have a really good relationship with them.
0: So with that, um, the COOPA program and the hazardous, uh, hazardous materials um, inventory, with doing that, do you do it for the whole county or do you just do it for Huntington Beach? We do
1: hazmat business plan only for Huntington Beach. So we okay. have about, I wanna say 600 or so businesses that have hazardous materials. Oh, wow. Yeah, so it's it's quite, That's a lot. Yeah. California sets the bar pretty low for the quantities. Um, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. so we're capturing a lot of businesses that maybe in other states you wouldn't see captured in the HAZMAT program. But we found that um, even things like, um, CO2, carbon dioxide, mm-hmm. and um, the quantities that are in restaurants now are in ha- are you know they're hazardous and they pose risks and yeah. knowing where they are um, is essential for first responders.
0: Well, and, you know, I look at um, the hazardous hazardous materials, I'm having a hard time saying that today for some reason, but the hazardous materials business plans, I I look at a lot of that, um, like you just mentioned, to understand what those risks are, where we have the chemicals. And you mentioned that the uh, reportable quantities Mm -hmm. to the Coupa may be a little bit lower than what those quantities are for the fire code and the permittable quantities that we see in the California fire code. But I look at that as a, a good Uh, indication of where I need to maybe focus my efforts um, and be able to engage those stakeholders in some discussions, because if they have a lot of hazardous materials, that definitely not only poses a risk to maybe some of the occupants, but also should they have an emergency, maybe our firefighters, our first responders and those types of things. So uh, definitely something to take a look at. So, well, So you I think you're you're hitting on a lot of key things as we talk about code enforcement and maybe um, an application of the codes, because we understand that it's a sum of many parts. Right. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of different folks and different agencies, like you just mentioned, with the um, community or the development assistance team uh, working as the Coupa and doing those types of things. It's sum of many parts. We all work together. How do you work to build that coalition um and work to maybe try to um work to build that coalition and collaboration with code enforcement.
1: Oh, well, I I think that is absolutely essential to have a really good relationship and a positive relationship with our code enforcement. Mm-hmm. Um we are I mean, I'm very lucky. I don't have a lot of experience with other fire departments, but at least in the city of Huntington Beach, um we have a code enforcement that is um very responsible and very um we work really well together in terms of um Mm -hmm. helping our community and um identifying if there if there are challenges so we work really closely we have a great relationship it's very we also have a a program called acela um it's it's Mm -hmm. it it helps us kind of intercommunicate um, yeah. between the departments. So we've been able to mm-hmm. do referrals very easy, um, but uh, we're in a lot of meetings together. We meet uh, very frequently uh, to make sure that the community, you know, we're addressing the community issues. So we work, uh, our our code enforcement is being built up, which is awesome. Um, mm-hmm. We mm-hmm. we didn't used to have a very strong building um code enforcement. So when we go out and do inspections and find building code violations, FIRE would often have to do the the follow-up. And so now okay. our code okay. enforcement, our Huntington Beach code enforcement is phenomenal. Um, they're they're working hard to make sure that we work together when we identify code enforcement mm-hmm. issues.
0: Okay. Well, that's fantastic. Um, you know, I, I I think that, like you just said, building relationships is key, um, key to m- addressing all of it, because there might be stuff that's outside the fire code. And as you highlighted, mm-hmm. some of those building code violations to be able to work together uh, on that. And I know, like m- my staff and and myself, we work really closely with our building officials, our code enforcement professionals um, to help address those risks. So, Now I know a lot of agencies have maybe um, well, we just celebrated community risk reduction week, what, two weeks ago, three weeks ago. now, And I know that you're prepared to go to the vision 2020 conference. I'm really jealous actually (laughs) um, because I think it's going to be a a fantastic conference, but we've seen many departments rebrand themselves as community risk reduction departments or community risk reduction divisions. And I think that, um, you know, fire departments, we, you know, we no longer really have that sole focus of just fire prevention, but it's also just risk as a whole, right? There's a lot of, as we've been talking about hazardous materials, um, with that, how do you work to be able to one, be able to meet those historical mandates of our regular inspections and, and those types of things, but then also to working to make that shift into addressing maybe some of those other local risks.
1: Sure. Um, so that's a great question the um we did rebrand our our division as community risk reduction and that was one of the initiatives that my fire chief uh chief scott haverly had um he he's a he's a visionary he's great um mm-hmm. he's a great fire chief but he really sees Community risk reduction as um, a key component of the entire fire department. So, we did rebrand our fire prevention division as community risk reduction. But we're also giving the um, making sure it's understood by the whole department that community risk reduction doesn't end in fire prevention. So, Mm -hmm. um, you know, the five E's apply to to uh, emergency. Our our EMS Division, our Marine Safety Division. Um, we uh, we're, we're, So we have, um, like I said, a, a fire chief is very supportive. He actually, mm-hmm. we do this, um, we do a training called, well, we used to call it Fire Prevention Friday. We now call it Community Risk Reduction Friday. And it okay. used to be we do uh, six separate Fridays where we do fire prevention. Uh, topic or something for our firefighters, and we'd hit okay. we hit all we have um, ten um, we have uh, ten working companies on three shifts of so thirty companies, so we hit all of them. And he he came to every single one of our the last one we did, and he actually talked about community risk reduction and how important it was to integrate into. Our philosophy and how we run our business okay. and he has a great story and I'm not gonna repeat it but um, his analogy is about this Oscar fish and I'm not gonna repeat the analogy but basically <laughs> so if you ever see Scott Haverly ask him about an Oscar fish he he, okay. he talked we're, we're never going to um, we can't keep throwing resources, right, to, to fix a problem. Mm-hmm. We, can't yeah. yep. mm-hmm. we can't build more stations. We can't build more, throw more people at it. We need to take, reduce our risk in our community, uh-huh. reduce the number of, um, if if we're going out on a lot of falls at seniors, we need to address that mm-hmm. and work with them. Right. If we're, you know, mm-hmm. if we're having fires in places that don't have fire, you know, have smoke. We need to get out there and we need to have that message. And that comes from everybody. Mm -hmm. So um, it is it's it's awesome to be working for a a fire chief that sees that the importance of that. Uh And um, so we've done a lot of things. We have um, we have a marine safety group is working on their own community risk reduction programs. Um, We have a, a stingray prevention um yeah, wow. so we're trying to like for example they, cool. they guide people. We have this um program called Watchtower and it guides people who are going to the beach to know where our stingrays uh-huh. are. And so they can avoid oh, really yeah, cool. so they can avoid getting, you know, stung by a stingray. Right. And yeah, so it's 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 really cool. We are spending um a lot more time doing um Pub Ed, we never had a Pub Ed program, well, I can't say that. We had a Pub Ed program, it Mm -hmm. got eliminated probably 10 years ago. And so we've been trying to rebuild that and taking community risk reduction and finding that Pub Ed component that helps move the needle on some of those Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. risks. So it's, it's, it's exciting to be working in Huntington Beach.
0: Wow, a stingray (laughs) prevention program. Um, You're the first uh, out of like 17 people that I've talked to that actually has a stingray prevention program. (laughs) Now, I did talk to uh, uh, Chief Todd with the Hawaii County Fire Department, and he was talking about, Volcanic activity, and that was the first that I, I was able to talk to somebody uh, about, vol- uh, you know, volcano awareness and prevention and pre- and preparedness. And and you, you, now you're bringing up stingray prevention, and so we understand that local risk is local risk, right? It, it's not, you know, not all two departments and not all two regions may be the same. There might be some similarities, but they may not all always be the same. And and one of the things that that I wanted to talk to you about being, being Being Huntington Beach is very unique, right? You just hit on um, it's uh, having stingray prevention, but also it's also has the the moniker of being Surf City USA, right? Um, And and so- when you consider those local risks how does i mean you hit on uh, stingray safety but how does that maybe impact other community risk reduction efforts uh, you know with your marine program and and those other things that you have to you know consider as you develop you know maybe initiatives to address that local risk right
1: yeah our marine safety program is is unique obviously because we have you know a lot of ocean front and a lot of city mm-hmm. beaches and we have a, a harbor. And so we're out there a lot. Our Marine Safety Division is just stellar in terms of their community risk reduction efforts. Um, mm-hmm. I could give you a lot more examples. They they have a program called SALT, where they educate um, surfers on on rescue like um they basically want them to be able to understand how to 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 help people in distress if they're out there surfing that's a good idea and yeah yeah, so that that reduces risk a lot because they're you know we have Mm -hmm. a better chance to save i mean we have our community is very um it's very built out um we have um Pretty high senior population. We do have pockets mm-hmm. of you know low income, um, non English speaking areas. Uh, we have industrial areas. We have it's it's a very varied um, community. We have we have a uh, we have uh, wildlands. Um, in fact, we oh. don't have wooey but we have you know we have um, I didn't mean okay. wildlands. We have um, wetlands, and we actually had our first wetland major fire last year oh wow so we're we're seeing um uh, you know our risks of fire is similar to every other community it's it's you know Mm -hmm. we're we're dealing with the same things but then we're dealing with you know the um the the marine safety side of things um oil wells are another um another issue um they mm-hmm. are co-located, I mean, you'll have an oil operating oil well right next to a, a, um, a, a home, and it's just the way oh, that wow. the, the, the city was built out. Yeah. We have a whole yep. methane-generating district, so underneath the soil, there's, I mean, we, so we have to work a lot with development on mitigating mm-hmm. those, um, those risks from uh, methane. So a lot of methane, methane barriers are required in certain areas and some other, you know, levels of remediation are required in others. So, Mm
0: -hmm. um, yeah, it's, it's
1: it's a little different here. Yeah, I
0: grew up in the Midwest, and and we had radon. So, and I, I think radon is probably you know we probably have it in California as well. But that was the big thing when you sold a house, you had to have your radon. You had to be you know test your home for radon. Um, but like it sounds like in Huntington Beach, uh, it could be you know methane testing. Uh, it, yeah. So it's a little bit different. So uh, you know, I hit on it again. Local risk is local risk. So as we talk about local risk. You know, one of the things that when I talked to Greg Rogers, Chief Greg Rogers with Spokane Valley, he mentioned, um, you know, some of those we talk about the community risk assessment and I'm actually in the process of trying to do a community risk uh, risk assessment myself. And and, I, you know, one of the things that when I think about community risk assessments is I, I always felt it was a really daunting task um, because I I felt like I had to try to leave no stone unturned to be able to adequately uh, identify what those local risks are. But he really helped to boil it down in our conversation. He said, hey, look, you know, a lot of it's just being able to go out and talk to your firefighters, um, see what calls they respond to and see what that is and so i i've I've started to maybe poll some of my operations staff to get a better understanding of what some of those calls that they're responding to and how do we develop initiatives and and public safety messaging uh to address that so in huntington beach what data tools do you use to be able to help better identify that community risk
1: that's actually that's a really good question because um we had a very similar um incident where um Fairly recently, we had, and it's probably because of Christmas, we've had a lot of battery fires, right? And um, oh wow, so okay. We just started to add a new data tracking in our reporting, a new local. Uh, mm-hmm. it, it, every incident requires a incident report that's tracked in mm-hmm. um, the the Envers program, and I. I don't mm-hmm. even. I can't tell you what N stands for, but that the, <laughs> the FEMA has a has a repository for all the incident and all the incident right. reports, uh-huh. and so uh-huh. we added a we added a local code for that, and um, we also proactively went out and did a a campaign, or uh, we did a video campaign actually um, on okay. on um, social media that we talk about battery safety and how important it is um to follow the manufacturer's instructions we went out um our the rcr staff went out and talked to a a, a, a company that sells electric bikes mm-hmm. and we had a little tu- okay uh, tutorial on it and we're getting those messages out um, I try I'd like to be less reactive not wait until mm-hmm. the you know this the issue happens and then um, react mm-hmm. from that but um, yeah we 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 do have a community risk assessment right now it's it's a little bit more um, at a very high level so it kind of tells us okay. you know you, we've got a pretty we've got a pretty moderate uh risk level for fire um but i'd like mm-hmm. to get down to the to the the first do areas so we'll work on mm-hmm. you know what's unique about your first do area and work with the, the folks at their um, station to see what their major needs are um We've oh, got okay. a couple stations that, like, we have an area that has a lot of senior population. So, you know, they're mm-hmm, going to have mm-hmm. a lot of calls that are related to, to, yeah. um, you know, medical calls related to the senior population. Mm-hmm. So, um, we'll we'll get there. But in the meantime, we have open right. dialogues. We just started going through all our fires once a month with our uh, the battalion chiefs, see if we we hit all the CRR messaging. What else, you know, what else can we do? Um, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. Um, just to just to make sure that we're identifying those trends.
0: That's fantastic. And like you just you you hit on some things that I'm probably going to try to implement on my own as well as just being able to review that monthly the monthly fire data, making sure that you get the social media messaging out there uh, and be able to kind of tell that story. So that way, hopefully we can avoid these things from happening again in the future. Um, you mentioned the uh, having uh, concerns or having additional incidents with uh with the batteries, Um, and I think that that we're starting to see maybe that to be a growing trend. Are are you using the right type of charger, or and the cords, and and are you following the manufacturer's instructions on how to charge these things? Um, And so, and, and me, I, I know that there on occasion I may not use the right cable. You, you can buy a lot of aftermarket cables to be able to charge your appliances but it's important that you make sure that you try to get the one that goes specifically with that. We even saw that with Mm -hmm. e-cigarettes. You know, a lot of times e-cigarettes, you know, they'll charge it with some different things or different uh, uh, equipment and it definitely poses a risk. So when we, when we talk about that and you know, a lot of, you know, we always deal with complacency, right? It's not going to happen to me. Right. Um, so how do you? How did you overcome a little bit of that with the battery charging and be able to help fight against that inertia to be able to identify that risk and hopefully be able to mitigate it a little bit better?
1: I, I, I mean, I think it's exactly what you're kind of, it's like reacting and making sure that um, when you start seeing those trends that you, you jump on mm-hmm. that immediately um we uh just recently we've had a lot of um small fires being Mm -hmm. uh lit in um you know dumpsters in the parks and uh we we just can't figure out you know who's doing this so we've put together a coalition with the pd and fire and um our um Battalion chief is is like, we're you know we're going to be on top of this. We're going to find the, the the source. So it's it's reacting, mm-hmm. uh, getting the information out to the public. Um, our we have a new um, public affairs officer. She used to be a, a, the PIO for the PD, and so like on okay. the battery fires, we worked with her to get that out into social media from from the city standpoint. Okay. Um, so we'll 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 work with um, you know we'll work with everybody PD and <laughs> the city manager <laughs> make sure we, we we get that information out as best we can we we do find social media works if the message is engaging and what I mean by that mm-hmm. is it can't just be uh, take a take an in, you know take an image from somebody else and share it and say yeah. Here you go. Yeah. You need to, you know, test your batteries. It needs to come from people here. It, it needs to have mm-hmm. a like a, a, a right. like a personal message almost. So yeah. yeah, we found that more effective.
0: Well, that's a good good perspective. I mean, a lot of us may may try, and I did this for a while, uh, just trying to use different messaging, knowing that I had. Um, you know, certain risks, and then I would use infographics that may be a little bit more generic and those didn't necessarily have as much impact but when we share you know tie that messaging maybe to something that we did respond to uh, that seems to have a little larger impact and and hopefully then you know avoid it from happening again in the future that seems to be where i think you're also hitting more success um and trying to hopefully mitigate that that in the future so but all right. Well, so you mentioned those videos, uh, I'm going to ask where can, you know, where can folks that are listening to this podcast right now, where can they find those, um, where can they find that video campaign? Is it only on like Facebook, YouTube, uh, go to your website, where, where can they find those videos? We,
1: you know, I, I wish I had a, a perfect answer for you right now. We, <laughs> we put them out on social media. So primarily, um, Uh, I'm not a social media person, so um, it goes out on Instagram and I think it it, it goes out on our, uh, you know, mostly Instagram and then kind of goes out from there to Facebook and other other places. We did um, a lot of video for, uh, for example, when we couldn't, during COVID, when we couldn't do our open house, we did a whole Mm -hmm. series for two years in a row on um and it was great and it was out on our web- i want to say it's on our website but i'm gonna i, I i'm gonna have to uh say i, I I'm, not, it, I'm not i'm yeah. not sure where it is where it <laughs> lives right now but it was uh-huh. awesome and we got a lot of information community loved it um we got uh we got folks from all our departments to be like featured in it so
0: We've okay. got some
1: of our new recruits in. We've got some of our marine. Oh, that's people. cool. It was, it was great.
0: Well, what I'll do is, if you can send me the links, I'll make sure to include that in the show notes. So, if if you're listening to this podcast and you want to and watching it, and I'll, I'll include it in the comments and the or in our YouTube, uh, and then also uh, on the podcast platform as well, so um, people can je- definitely check those links out. We can we'll find it and we'll we'll make sure to link to it, so that way we can share that information with everybody else.
1: Yeah, I. I and I, I must say, I'm really lucky because I do have staff that have stepped up and said, you know, this is not in my job description,
0: but <laughs> I'm going to,
1: I'm going to, we're going to get this and we're going to do it right. And we're going to, I'm mm. going to invest it. We're going to do a nice video. We're going to do a little bit of editing mm. and it's going to come out and it's yeah. going to be A plus work. So it's, it's awesome. I love it.
0: Well, maybe I should tap your staff because. I try to do a little bit of video editing to these podcasts. Uh, I also try to do a little audio editing and I am not very good at it. I am not only the host, but also the producer editor extraordinaire. And so sometimes they turn out well, sometimes, uh, they always could be a little bit better, uh, on my, you know, in me trying to package it. But, um, but yeah, so, but you're, you're right. So many of us during the course of, you know, 2020, 2021, um, really had to think outside the box uh to address and be able to share information and you mentioned the virtual you know virtual offerings that you guys presented to the community to you know continue to share that information because it is valuable um as we talk about the pandemic and those types of things what do you see as maybe some of those things that will last Uh, you know we we've all had to alter our uh the way we deliver services to the community. But what are some of those things that you see that will continue to, you know, go on uh, past uh, this pandemic? As in California, we're starting to go into what do they say, an endemic yeah. um, and starting to maybe live with the virus and, you know, being able to, you know, start to move forward. Uh, but what do you think we'll see um, in fire prevention and community risk assessment or community risk reduction? Um,
1: well, for sure, is electronic plan review without question, and we mm-hmm. we decided um, that all of our fire plans would come in electronic. There's there's not an option mm-hmm. to to, to um, submit them in paper anymore, and we were mm-hmm. a little concerned about how that it. We've had zero problems, zero. So. Okay. Um, that I think has been super successful. We're able to process those online. We're able to do plan reviews wherever we can. It doesn't have to be in an office. It can be at home when we were having uh, to, to work from home. So we were able to mm-hmm. provide a continuum of service, which was awesome. Um, you know, uh, you know, other than that, we're just, you know, in terms of risk, um, you know, and how things have changed. We're, we are going to spend a lot of time trying to figure out how best to provide, um, you know, our our services to the community, and that may mean changing mm-hmm. what we do and looking at, you know, what our higher risk occupancies are, or lower risk occupancies. Mm-hmm. We're looking at a self inspection program where we won't have to okay. go in and um, go into, you know, certain low risk occupancies. Let them do. Mm-hmm. Let them do the self inspect and um, and we'll, we'll document that. Um, so we're looking at that, that that should be coming up um, hopefully soon. We're, we're going through a process of, you know, going to council and, and all of that on that program. But um, yeah, I think uh, it did change the way we do business. We, we, mm-hmm. we definitely did um, uh, um, inspections remotely um, when we mm-hmm. had to, and that worked, it's not ideal, it worked. Um, right, but um, yeah, we I think we came out uh, using our time wisely, <laughs> um, maximizing the you know the technology, <laughs> and kind of ripping off that band aid when it came to electronic yeah. line review.
0: Yeah, yeah, and I think a lot of us were. We were in that transition, right, Mm -hmm. Um, where we started accepting electronic plans and and, and we were kind of still working through it. But really, March of 2020, was it March of 2020, that we all... We're like, okay, now we either have to do it, or we're gonna set a bin outside. We're gonna allow the plants to sit in the sun, and you know, because we didn't know if it was you know surface contact from the virus you right. know, really had anything uh, to do with it. But um, and so being able to shift and move forward with electronic plan review, and I think we've all been fairly successful in that transition, and it's been I, I will say that that has been one of the things I I do think that that helps build some efficiencies as we move forward. I mean, we, we definitely, I, I think you talked, you just kind of hit on it too. the com- continuous process review and a- adaptation that I think that COVID really taught us is that we can't be um, continued, you know, do, th- do things the way we've done it for years. We always have to look to improve, and I think that that's really going to, um, you know, myself included, uh, reflect on how we can continue to better our processes and uh, not be a maintenance of effort and, and try to look to the future and try to find those future things. Who knows? Maybe we'll have uh, VR glasses to conduct inspections or um, or uh, things like that. That might, you know, never you never know nowadays, right? So be that be cool. that would be interesting. I, <laughs> I know in talking with uh, uh, Chief Rogers, he mentioned that they have VR fire extinguisher mm-hmm. training and and it's uh, it, it's phenomenal. I, I, I kind of wish I would have thought of that um, because it, it, it is something that he said that you can be able to get a lot more people through that type of training um and you know be able to do it at a lower cost but it does have as much um benefit as just the, our standard or or what we used to do uh, for fire extinguisher training so um so I know that you and I we've had a lot of conversations about this we actually attended uh the uh, leadership training uh by uh, fire chief uh, Michael uh, O'Brien with uh Brighton Fire Authority uh out of Michigan and so you and I've had a lot of conversations about that and you know one of the things I wanted to get your take is Um, you know, as code professionals, we're always looking to maybe, uh, better refine and develop our leadership skills. So how do you engage and and motivate your staff in Huntington beach?
1: Um, that's a good question. I mean, I, I kind of start with myself and just make sure that I'm, you know, leading by example. I really Mm -hmm. feel, um, it's important to, uh, have, have the relationships either, you know, inter- with other departments within the city and then outside the city, mm-hmm. so, um, and that's why I really was very interested in becoming uh, involved in the SoCal FPOs. Um, and from there, it kind of expands, right? You get you get more right. and more and more yep. exposure. But um, and and I I have to say again, I'm very lucky. I'm in a department that very much um, encourages leadership, leadership, training at all levels. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, we're all of us are able to um, we're we're given the authority. And I believe this is true to, you know, to push, you know, down, set your expectations and then let Mm -hmm. let everybody do what they need to do. Um, so um, that's really important. And if you want to check out a really cool document on our on our Web page under fire, Huntington Beach fire, our, uh, we have a, a leadership intent document. Amazing. Um, okay. Put together by for um, the, the department on what the important things are for that, that from the top. Down that that mm-hmm. is expected from um, from everybody in terms of leadership, whether that's demonstrating your passion for your job or, you know, being um, uh, you know being just you know part of the you know part of the uh, joy of being uh, you know in this right. department. So uh, really cool, check it out. Um, and I just you know we have I have a great group. Um, I. I am not the smartest person here. I definitely have to rely on um, staff for for almost everything. Um, I, I mm. definitely, it, we do some really cool things. I think we, we have um, quarterly, we set quarterly objectives and key results and we kind of, we have a nice tempo on that and we make sure we're getting things done that we wanna get done. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know we're also make, making sure that we're maintaining our state mandated inspections and staying on top yeah. of those yeah. so it's kind of like the must-dos and then the the things that are where where you're able to stretch and and do new and innovative things um, which is very much supported in our uh, in our culture so um yeah
0: yeah it sounds like just in some of those other you know re- answers that you've had some of the other questions that I've asked is is being able to um maximize the skill sets that maybe we talked about the pandemic being able to ma- maximize the skill sets of, of that are unique skill sets right um, and being able to take those skill sets and be able to help you know that is I think g- good leadership in a sense because everybody's got unique talents and how do how as a leader can we maximize those unique talents and always trying to explore those opportunities um, you know I, maybe this is my unique talent that I get to talk to everybody actually this this is more of an education for me than it is anybody else, I think. So um, it, I'm kind of selfish in that. Uh, I get to talk to a lot of cool people and get a lot of good information so that I can go back to my department and I can try to implement some of these things. Um, but yes, I, I, I think that the pandemic and even you know as good leaders, we try to maximize those unique talents as much as we can. And also that servant leadership as well is how can we help them maximize those talents and what can we do to help them with that? I think that you you highlighted that very well, um, you know during our conversation today now we're we 're getting about to the top of the hour. I know that you have um, you know some other commitments today, but uh, and i I joke uh, with uh, with our uh, region one board the other day that. I always wait till the end to ask this question, and I don't know why, but um, I, I think I let the conversation get away get away from me because um, this is an ICC podcast or ICC Region One podcast, not the ICC, you know, podcast, but ICC Region One. And with that being said, how do you engage with ICC, uh, and uh, what are some of those ways that um, that you you know be able to get information and, and share information?
1: Well, first of all, I was the first one to sign up for your podcast. <laughs> I listen to your podcast all the <laughs> and time. I, appreciate I, that. I really do enjoy it and <laughs> I'm I'm flattered that you asked me considering the amazing people that you've interviewed and it's very interesting so i really appreciate as a region one doing that um for for everybody so hopefully we'll we'll mm-hmm. you'll build up your audience and people will get more and more excited about <laughs> it but i love meeting all the people with, i hope so you know, all over yeah. the place it's cool um we, well because i'm on the socal fpo board and we are at um you know a section so uh, mm-hmm, I we mm-hmm. get we get ICC updates from um, Susan Dowdy and Carl flippinger yep constantly it's awesome I, yeah. I we so we know what's going on every month we're updated so we can stay connected there and of course I'm you know I've signed up for every email blast on ACC that I could possibly <laughs> sign up for so I I do get um, advised on, on on what's going on there. Um, Mm -hmm. We're obviously very active with code development, and um, if I I could encourage everybody listening to go to the ICC meetings, the hearings, and participate, um, it was one of the best experiences I ever had, loved every minute Mm of it. you really, and we're very lucky because our, our FPOs work, our fire prevention officers work together to put together, you know, our thoughts in advance about how we're going to vote, and that's right. that's amazing. So you can be part of that. Mm-hmm. I took advantage of a scholarship, so I encourage everybody who maybe not, you know, doesn't have the full funds to do it to apply for a scholarship and just go. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, you know, I want to stay connected with other ICC you know, region one, obviously, I'll stay connected yeah. there. Um, there's a, a, a ICC manages a, a building um, and fire safety, uh, California group, um, you know, connected in there. And then, mm-hmm. you know, just all the other uh, LA basin has a great uh, you know, a great. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Membership meetings. And those are those are great to attend. So I intend to, to continue whether I'm on the the board of the SoCal FBOs or not.
0: Yeah, so I think, you know, you mentioned just get involved, um, and do what you can to get involved. And, and, you know, I grew up, I'm similar to you in the sense that I, I have not lived in California all my life. Um, I was kind of a late arriver. Uh, I arrived in California, I think, when I was in my mid thirties. And so now I'm, you know, trying to play catch up, but I will say that since I've been in California, I, I've got to, you know, meet and discuss, you know, code things and, and California and really I, I would say our area, uh, you know, the. Pacific, you know, region has always been very proactive and innovative in the codes. And so, with that being said, it's one of those things: get, making sure to get involved and work with those people. And and you know, I think that more people, it, the more you do that, the more you attend those other meetings, get involved in code development, um, the better it will be. Um, and then you can be able to share that why with people that you work with, why we do what we do, and have a little bit better understanding. So. Well, Janice, I, I, um, with that, we're coming to a close. Is there anything else that you would like to talk about before we wrap up this episode of Region One Radio?
1: No, I just want to say thank you, Tim. This has been awesome. Yeah. Um, I, if, if anybody's listening, um, and Tim asks you, please uh, say yes. <laughs>
0: um,
1: yes, yeah. please. And um, thanks for doing this. This is this is really phenomenal. So appreciate it, and I, I hope to meet. Everybody that listens, um, friend me on on LinkedIn, and <laughs> um, and you know I just want to you know stay connected and learn from everybody else. So.
0: That's right. That's what this is. This is a, a learning experience to be able to share those experiences. So, and I'll make sure to link back to the, the video campaign. I'll mm-hmm. try to find that. If you can send me the links, I'll link back to me that. Too. And then also the leadership document. I'll make sure to post a, a link to that so everybody can take a look at it, uh, you know, and some of those other things that we've talked about through this episode. So with that, that does bring this episode to a close. Unfortunately, um, you know we're, we're we're pushing an hour, or so uh, I want to thank uh, Fire Marshal Janice Van Mullen uh, for joining us today. It was a, a great insight, um, and you know Stingray awareness uh, was definitely something that I learned today. Um, I never even considered it, so that that was fantastic. Uh, we hope that you appreciate these insights and experiences shared today in this episode in this podcast. As always, I want to thank you for watching and and listening to ICC Region One Radio. Um, and as Janice mentioned, um, you know, please, if, if you'd like to be featured on an upcoming episode, please feel free to reach out to me or um, or I'll try to reach out to you. I, I definitely try to seek people out. So if you have some, some information you want to share with the rest of our audience, I think that that would be fantastic. Um, if you enjoy the show, as I mentioned before, please make sure to review and, and rate us on Apple Podcasts and also subscribe to our YouTube channel. And with that, I want to say goodbye and thank you again, Janice. I really do appreciate it.
1: Thank you, Tim.